What's up everybody? It's Dan from Binder Boneyard coming at you from the office. Uh, it is end of January. It is cold. It snowed yesterday. It's like five degrees outside right now. But it's supposed to be back up in the 50s next week. So anyway, um, yeah, thanks for listening in. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, like I said last week, trying to be more consistent. Um, and then I'm going to not be consistent because I'm going to be out of town for like nine days and I probably won't be able to do any recording. I might try to record something on my phone, um, but it still won't get out to you guys until I get back, uh, and Brad can edit it and put it out. So there may be a gap in the podcast. So sorry, but, um, yeah, if I do something from, um, King of the Hammers, cause that's where I'm going, uh, I might be interesting. I don't know. But, uh, speaking of King of the Hammers, uh, if you're unfamiliar, that is a desert race in Southern California. Um, it is started out as a rock crawling event, but with speed um, so there's desert sections in between the rock trails and, you know, it started out as guys, a bunch of guys in rock crawlers doing these trails and trying to get from the next one to the next one. And then they figured out that they needed to be faster in the desert and then faster in the rocks. And it just kind of evolved into what ultra four is today, which is half million dollar cars that go very, very fast and are extremely durable. Uh, you know, the new models of ultra four cars that are, you know, IFS solid axle rear. Um, I mean, they're getting close to like trophy truck speeds in the desert now. And that's pretty incredible considering, Oh, 15 years ago, they were calling, everyone in the sport rock donkeys because they were so slow and now uh, it's coming around to where all the trophy trucks are all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive and uh, you know you can't be competitive in in desert racing if your truck's not all-wheel drive so I just think that's kind of funny how it's come full circle but anyways I will be down there spectating uh, I'm not racing I'm don't have that kind of budget or time, uh, but it is my one true vacation that I get to take every year where I'm not selling parts or whatever. I mean, I am going to be looking at some stuff while I'm down there, but I don't have, you know, I'm not selling, I'm not doing businessy stuff. So my one real vacation. So anyway, I will be I will be down there, but, um, yeah, if you follow on the socials, you will see lots of pictures and stuff. The signal service down there is pretty bad when it really starts getting full of people, but, um, you know, I'll do my best to update now and then, which then leads me into the next segue, which is I've been working on 
my scout to get ready for this trip just so I have something to get around in. Uh, and then the guys have been working on it too in between customer work. Um, so that brings me to today's podcast, which we're going to talk about welding. I know I've done a couple of pods on welding and fabrication before, but it's always good to circle back to all the new people that, you know, have been listening and want to learn about welding and fabrication. So I know that it is, um, uh, intimidating if you're not familiar with the process because of, you know, the equipment needed, the skills you think you need, the process, uh, just all of it. So, uh, you know, if you have the space, if you have a garage or place to work, um, you know, generally you can do welding and fabrication. The thing is, you know, don't get hung up on the fact that you need a $4,000, you know, Millermatic 250, you know, like you don't need that sort of stuff. You know, you can do 95% of fabrication with a 110 powered welder, you know, like we have two wire feed welders in the shop here. I've got my big Miller 200, um, that, it, you know, we run 030 wire in it and we use it for all the regular heavy fab thick stuff and sheet metal jobs too. That's why I run 030 because it kind of can go back and forth between the two. And then we also have a small Lincoln 140, which is a 110 powered wire feed that we run 025 wire in. And we use that for a lot of the sheet metal body work. And it does do some, um, you know, heavier work as well. Like you can do 3 sixteenths in a single pass with it if you uh, know what you're doing. Um, so that's what I would recommend for new guys starting out is, you know, a, a little Lincoln 140 or the Miller, the equivalent in the Miller. Um, you know, there are these other brands out there. The Eastwood sells one and, um, you know, these Amazon Chinese brands that sell wire feed welders. I don't know. I, I feel like if you're going to, take the step into doing your own metal fab um, that you should buy something a little more name brand. Um, just, you know, the same thing. If you're going to be a professional mechanic, don't buy all of your screwdrivers at Harbor Freight. Uh, you know, you're going to want some legit actual name brand tools. So same goes with the metal fab welding stuff. Like I really... I, you know, I have a lot of faith in the name brand stuff. If you're trying to save a few dollars but still want name brand, you can buy that Lincoln 140 at Home Depot. You know, uh, I think the Home Depot version is like $800. My version that I bought from the welding supply store was 1100 Supposedly, there's some differences internally. I don't know. I think maybe that's just the welding shop 
trying to justify their pricing. But either way, um, you know, or keep an eye on Marketplace um, or Craigslist. You can see there's guys selling welders there occasionally. Um, and so then that brings me into the next thing is don't use flux core wire. A lot of these small welders, they come with flux core wire, and so you can weld without gas. Uh, that's good for welding outside in the wind or, you know, dirty material or whatever. But it is a ugly, not very nice looking weld and sometimes not that strong, uh, especially if you're just starting out. Your weld quality is probably not going to be great. So, you know, I, I recommend you spend a few dollars, get a gas bottle and, you know, run solid wire and you know especially in the small machine like an 025 is great wire for a small 110 powered welder um you could go 030 i wouldn't go 035 that's just that's big wire for such a small machine they say you can run it but um 025 is kind of a good all-around novice homeowner wire size so and some places might sell it as like 023 uh, you know, and in that range, 023025. But um, <clears throat> you know, I would, I would look into that. Uh, you know, maybe even as your first welding project, build yourself a cart. Uh, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, they sell casters, they sell wheels loose for four or five dollars a piece. And you know, you can go to the steel place and you buy yourself a, a couple feet of you know, 095 square tube and you can build yourself a, a little cart for your welder and your gas bottle because you don't want your gas bottle tipping over. Uh, that's very dangerous. Uh, it'll break if it breaks the regulator off the top. They don't explode. Contrary to popular belief, uh, these bottles don't explode. The top will break off and then they turn into torpedoes and they will go through several brick walls and your refrigerator, but they don't explode. Um, so you don't want them tipping over because you don't want to risk breaking off that regulator or the, the end and then have it turn into a, a spinning ground flower. So you need a cart with a chain or something to keep the bottle from tipping over, but yet still maneuverable. Um, so like I said, that might be a good, welding project. There's tons of um, ideas and stuff like that on YouTube and various places that have plans and DIY stuff. And that brings me to another piece of equipment that you really need to have when you're getting into your welding journey is a grinder. Uh, you really need a grinder, you know, four and a half inch angle grinder. Um, we really like DeWalt's. I've worked in a lot of shops that have had a lot of different grinders. Um, you know, I mean, if money's no object, you get the Metabo made in Germany. Those are amazing, but they're like $250 a piece. Uh, the nice paddle switch DeWalt's are like 90 a piece and are very good. Uh, I've had a few of the $12 Harbor Freight ones that don't last past turning them on. 
Um, I do know other guys that have had them and they've lasted for five years. So it's a real crapshoot with the uh, cheap, cheap Harbor Freight ones. But again, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to stick with this journey and see yourself needing it in the future for not just working on your scout or your international, but, you know, home projects, building a railing or, uh, you know, anything like that. It might not hurt to invest a few dollars in good stuff now um, because a good grinder, because you can run, you know, a grinding wheel, of course, uh, flap disc, uh, those are my favorite, or cutoff wheels, um, you know, there's even attachments for like polishing and, and uh, softer metal re removal. One grinder can do a lot of work. So, you know, I would recommend you consider, you know, buying something that is not just, you know, middle of the road at best, but the better you can afford, the better. Um, because when you're doing these welding projects, uh, you know, if you're doing quarter panel replacements or anything like that, you're going to have to grind certain parts to clean off paint and rust and debris so that your new metal can be joined to your old metal because um, that is one of the most important parts of welding with wire feed welder with solid wire is that the cleaner the material that you're welding on or welding to the better your weld quality you know you can be a not great welder your technique can be not good but if your material is super clean and your fit up is nice that goes a long ways um, because the other way, if you're an excellent welder and your technique is good and you know all the systems, but you're trying to weld two pieces of rusty, gross, tar-covered dirt, you know, pieces together, they're not going to stick. Not very well anyways. And it's not going to look that good. So just like everything in life, especially automotively, prep and setup is key compared, you know, that trumps experience a lot of times. Um, just knowing how to have good prep, good setup, it, it just goes so far into having a good quality weld. So, you know, I would recommend getting some scrap material. If there is a scrap yard near you that has, you know, that lets you buy stuff out of there. Usually they sell it by the pound. Um, I would go in there and I would just find some scrap material, like quite a bit, because you go through it a lot faster than you think when you're practicing. But I would get some material and clean it up, clean your weld surfaces, and just practice. Just figure out your settings. You know, if it's thin gauge sheet metal, 18, 19, 20 gauge sheet metal, then you're going to need to learn what a low setting and wire speed will do. And then, you know, you're rewelding eighth inch plate for doing something heavier, you know, what setting that takes and maybe even get a little, um, you know, posted or a, a piece of paper or masking tape, stick it to the welder with some baseline settings, you know, like wherever your dials or whatever they need to be 
just say, hey, you know, thin material, it needs to be this voltage and this wire speed. And, you know, eighth inch middle material needs to be this and this. And then heavy, like quarter inch, needs to be this. And a lot of these uh, small 110 powered uh, wire feeds will tell you that, you know, 3 sixteenths is their limit with hardwire. You can do quarter with good prep and, um, you know, maybe even multiple passes. But, uh, but yeah, you can generally get outside the range of what they consider acceptable, um, you know, at least I have. And you'll learn what you can get away with uh, the more you do it. And so uh, I would recommend, yeah, taking notes, keeping track until you become more comfortable with what you're looking at when you're working. Um, so, yeah, so that's where, you know, like I said, you're going to want a grinder. Uh, the next thing, you know, because safety third, you're going to want some good safety gear, uh, decent gloves. Uh, I have two different pairs. I have a, a heavy set uh, for when I'm doing thicker work because when you crank the amperage up on your machine, of course, it's going to make more heat, more power. So stuff gets hotter. So I have some thicker gloves for when I'm doing heavy work. And then I have thinner gloves for when I'm doing light work. Um, it just is helpful for me. So, you know, you're going to want some good gloves. And you're going to want to always wear long sleeves when you're doing this. And try to get dark. Don't wear white or gray. Um, because that it will actually reflect the light up under your hood. And it can flash your eyes just from the brightness of it shine, reflecting off of your white clothes. So, you know, blues, blacks, uh, even reds, I think you're okay. It just needs to be long sleeve you know, high collar, um, you know, just something to cover you because you will get sunburned badly uh, if you don't cover up. And, you know, it's the same kind of skin cancer you can get from being in the sun if you weld exposed too much. My forearms are permanently speckled from um, welding, you know, short sleeves and stuff like that. So my tattoos that I have on my hands and arms are are fading out because of all of the light exposure. So um, just keep that in mind as well. I know a lot of professionals, pipeline or stuff like that, they'll put sunscreen on their neck uh, and you know parts of them that are exposed because that'll help. That will actually help block the UV. Uh, it won't completely, but uh, you know sometimes every little bit helps if you're doing it all the time. Um, and then a good hood, a good welding hood. And, you know, in this one, you can get away with some of the lower brands or a fixed shade. You know, you've probably seen, maybe you have, I don't know, the videos are, or where guys have their hood up. And then just before they go to start welding, they, they dip their head real fast. And then the hood falls down over their face and then they start welding. Um, that's a technique that you have to practice. Um, but once you nail it, then, you know, I know a lot of guys that went, they stopped using an auto dark hood and went back to the head flip because the um, lens quality on a fixed shade is very good. Uh, fixed shade hoods 
that you can get lenses, you know, number 10, number 11s that are very clear and they, you know, give off a good color and you, it's really nice to see. The downside is, is that you have to be steady with your hands so that when you flip your head down, you don't move your hands and then start welding on something that you weren't supposed to weld on. So I still use an auto dark. I have a Div Miller Digital Elite that I bought, geez, 10 years ago now. Um, still works good, got a big screen. The downside with the auto darks is that they're green, that everything, all the color, all, you know, there is no color. It's all, it's just shaded green. Nowadays, uh, some of the new brands, the Vikings, Miller Viking or the Optrails or uh, the Speed Glass, they have some different colors to see better. Um, but those hoods are three to $500. Um, I remember even my digital elite 10 years ago was $279, which I thought was crazy, but it's, it's paid for itself now. Um, cause of all the TIG welding, it's so hard to TIG with a flip down hood. I mean, I know pipeliners do it and it's just another skill set that I haven't learned, but for me, it's just easier to auto dark. Cause then, you know, when I'm under a car welding in the scout or something like that, and I got to jam my head into a confined space, it's nice to put the hood down and then get into the space versus trying to get in there with your hood up. Cause you can't, you know, it's super tight. So, um, anyway, try to find a, a decent middle of the road hood. Again, if you're looking at doing this long term, like if you have a scout that's super rusty and you have it in your mind that you're going to do all of the metal work, you know, floor pans, bed, quarter panels, end cap, like all of that welding, I would really, really recommend you get the best hood you can afford. Um, if you are just looking at like a few projects a year, weekend warrior, you know, tacking the a bracket onto your kid's bike or something, then you can probably get away with the Harbor Freight cheaper one. Uh, I know it's your eyesight, but, uh, you know, that's up to you to decide how, how much it's worth to you. But I've, I've used the cheap hoods in the past and they have been okay. Uh, I haven't gotten flashed knock on wood. I've actually never had flash burn, uh, in all my years of in the fab shops doing all the heavy fab, because that's what I did before I worked on scouts in case, uh, you didn't know my career was heavy fab. I built heavy equipment, worked in various uh, fab shops all around the state and, you know, doing everything from TIG, TIG welding aluminum to, uh, you know, 052 dual shield on three inch thick plates with 30 or 40 passes. Like it's just, you know, I've done pretty much all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I kind of have some background in all this stuff, but yeah, I would just say, you know, again, look at your intended work. You know, if you think it's just a couple times a year and you've gotten, you know, the cheap grinder and the base model welder, you can probably just, you know, get a, an average hood. But if you got the, you know, Millermatic 180 uh, and you've got, you know, a Metabo grinder, then you're probably going to want a decent 
hood, you know, Miller Digital or, you know, or the, the Lincoln Viking. But uh, again, it's up to you, whatever your budget can afford and what you think you're going to be doing. But I will say that the better the stuff you get, the more enjoyable your experience will be. Uh, because just like everything in life, if you cheap out, and it, it's never good. You buy cheap clothes and they fall apart after a few weeks or a couple of washings. You know, you're going to be disappointed. Cheap shoes, cheap boots, whatever. It, you always end up paying more in the long run. You know, but if you buy high quality stuff that has good reviews and good feedback, I guarantee you your experience is going to be much better. And I know people that have given up on some of this stuff because of poor experiences with their equipment or whatever they've purchased. So, um, yeah, I would just keep that in mind when you're out shopping for this stuff. But regardless, it is not a cheap date. You are looking at, you know, $1,000 for a welder. You're looking at a couple hundred bucks for a gas bottle. You're looking at, you know, hundred bucks for a grinder. 150 to 250 for a hood, you know, uh, wire brushes, uh, you know, it, it adds up. And so you have to decide is the money I'm going to spend on those tools going to be worth it in the long run. If you're doing one job, if you have one scout and you're going to repair some panels and then that's it, it might be worth just farming that job out. But if you want to have some tooling that you're going to keep for a while that will serve you long term then maybe consider it and then some other tips from the haggard old guy that i can give you instead of having one really big gas bottle because it never fails that you will run out of gas on a sunday and no one will have it is instead of having one big bottle, have two small bottles. That way when you run out on your Sunday, you can change to your fresh bottle, as long as you remember to refill the empty one the last time. So, and then also your spools of wire. Most of the, uh, you know, if you buy wire from a big box store like Home Depot or Lowe's, they sell them in two pound spools. Your welder will come with a two-pound spool of wire normally. I would go to the welding supply store and buy the 10-pound spool because, again, it's cheaper when you buy it like that, and it lasts longer. But don't just buy one. Buy two. Or buy one and then save the two-pound spool for your emergency when you run out on a Sunday. Um, and then what I do is that, well, around here, the small machine runs a 10 and the big machine runs a 30 pound. And I just always have an extra spool of each, always just because it, it never fails. You run out on a weekend or whatever. But if I were, you know, homeowner, small welder, I would have the 10 pound and I would save the two pound. And then when I ran out, I'd put the two pound in, finish my job, and then on the during the week, buy another 10 pounder and take the two pounder out, put it back on the shelf, put the 10 pounder in and run that. And then I would just use that two pounder as my emergency backup until that was gone. And then just start buying two 
10 pounders, you know, always have a 10 pounder on the shelf. Um, it just, it never fails. You're going to want a package of consumables, uh, the, the tips you're going to have, you know, you will go through tips. Um, and you know, I would have a package of like 10 just because when you're first starting out, you will stick wire to the tips and ruin them. That's just what happens when you're learning your settings and your stuff. So make sure you have lots of tips on hand, uh, a nice pair of side cutters, um, or even whelpers. If you want to buy the actual tool, get yourself some whelpers. Um, they're very good to have. And what else? Uh, safety glasses for when you're running the grinder. Um, just how nice to have some safety glasses, some earplugs, because uh, that stuff can get loud or you're banging on steel or whatever. Put some earplugs in. Um, you know, some breathing. You can't have a lot of wind blowing around when you're using uh, wire feed with uh, gas because it'll blow your gas away and make your weld crappy. So you got to weld indoors or shielded, and that can expose you to smoke and or fumes. Uh, if you really want to go for a respirator, you can. Um, they make Miller makes a small one that it is tight to your face, but so you can still put your hood down and not have clearance problems. Uh, use that. That's with a grain of a word of caution. If you have respiratory problems and you put a respirator on, you may pass out. Um, you know, respirators are not just fancy dust masks. They can actually limit your airflow and create other health problems. So I am not telling you to get one. That is not medical advice. Do not die, but think about some sort of breathing. Even if you do just use a dust mask, uh, if you are concerned about the dust and fumes from welding, uh, you can look into that as well. But anyway, uh, hopefully that was semi-informative. You learned something. Um, probably have more questions. I don't know. But if you do, you can always reach out through the socials. Uh, let me know if you have any other questions, concerns, and I'll do my best to answer them. I appreciate you guys listening. You can donate on Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe on Instagram. Uh, every dollar helps. I appreciate it very much. I love you all. Until next time, Dan from Binder Bone Yard. Thank you.